When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. With me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Even though this is an off day for the team, quite a lot of business to get into here. We have some breaking news. Um, There's no game, but later tonight, Marlins Jeopardy episode on our Fish Stripes YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter platforms. I'm sure you'll tune into that. And we have our usual string of analysis on our website, fishstripes.com, breaking down one of the low points of this Marlins season, having lost, what is it, four or five of the last six series to plummet to a season-low six games below 500. We have a new trade to break down, and then for the chunk of this episode, I want to get into the upcoming roster decisions, a very unusual situation coming up where the Marlins could have as many as three players all simultaneously returning from the injured list. If they come in, who goes out? I want to break that down from all angles, and most importantly, to get your perspective on all that. We're going to check in with all the Marlins Twitter GMs and see what they would do in this situation to help the Marlins put together the best possible 26-man group to turn their season around, because they really need it. On the other side of this break, we'll dive into all of that. Stick with us. A surprising trade coming to us on this Marlins Thursday off day with the team San Francisco Giants that makes about as many trades as anybody else. Their roster turn is next level stuff. They recently designated Luke Williams for Simon, a utility player, and a few days later, he winds up with Miami in exchange for minor league infielder Hayden Cantrell. So a little bit of time on both of these guys. The guy coming in, Luke Williams, still only 25 years old. He was drafted way back in 2015 with the Phillies, kind of toiled around in their minor league system for a handful of years before finally getting a call up last year and having an extended stretch as basically a bench player, an occasional platoon guy playing a variety of positions for them in 2021. Started this year with the Giants, had just a cup of coffee in the majors and Spent, hit well in AAA when he was down there. Down the left field line, that's a base hit. Dubon can run, they're going to wave him in. And the Giants take the lead. Luke Williams, where have you been? 
minor league options are a very important detail to take into account with these young players. You know, the flexibility that you have to bring them up, send them down as necessary during the season. What makes Williams so unusual is that he was DFA'd with all three of his minor league option years intact. That's not something that you see very often, and it seems that by doing so, they preserve just that tiny bit of trade value in order to get a prospect for him in return. The Marlins, if they want to, they could keep him, they could stow him in AAA this year and in 2023 and in 2024 if they choose to. Uh, they wouldn't do that unless they believe he actually has some potential value to their major league roster. I said he was a utility guy, and that might be underselling it. He has played every single infield and outfield position. That's unusual, even for super utility guys, that including first base, including center field, and everything in between for Luke Williams. Uh, the downside with him is that he probably can't hit. He hasn't hit much at all in the minor leagues. Way back in rookie ball in 2015, we're talking seven years ago, he had a 400 on base percentage, a 731 OPS. But then a few years after that, basically nothing, especially in the power department. Um, it perked up a little bit in 2019 and 2020, in 2018, 2019. Then during the pandemic, he went to Australia and played winter ball over there. Although he didn't play especially well during that sample either. As I said last year, he finally made his debut for the Phillies, and he had a 901 OPS in the Pacific Coast League this year, a sample of only 10 games, and that is the most pitcher hitter-friendly league that you can find. Everything in between then, he's just been below average. Every step of the way, a below average hitter, a career minor league slash line of 242, 314, 338 way below average, only 23 home runs in 482 games, just a handful of homers a year. His carrying tool is his speed, and that has measured out well in the majors. Very fast player, um, so that's something that he has going for him, and it has translated to efficient base stealing, at least in the minor leagues. That's about it. Um, league average at putting the bat on the ball, maybe slightly above average at making contact, uh, but... Um, Tied all together, I don't think he's going to be in, on the major league team initially. I think they're going to option him to AAA Jacksonville. We'll find out very soon as to whether I'm right or wrong about that. Ultimately, just a very inconsequential player, I would think. Somebody that we'll likely see in the big leagues at some point this year, but not for an extended stay and not for high expectations. Going in exchange, I think this is kind of interesting. Hayden Cantrell was the infielder they acquired less than two months ago in the Alex Jackson trade. Remember that? So they got him along with another lottery ticket reliever for Alex Jackson right before opening day. So Alexis Ramirez is the lottery ticket reliever who is still in the organization, but still hurt. And so they, sh they flip Cantrell. I guess they prefer Williams over Alex Jackson. Um, they're, frankly, they're just very equivalent players, just with different skill sets and different flaws. So Cantrell, I wouldn't say he necessarily improved his stock at all playing at double A so far this year. He had been the main second baseman for double A Pensacola. He got off to an amazing start, homered three times in his first six games. So that's exciting for a second baseman. The problem is he went into the tank right after that. He had about 150 over the next month of games, extremely high strikeout rate in the mid 30s percentile. 
also a high walk rate, so a real three true outcomes guy, except the problem was the home runs had dried up for him outside of that first week plus at double-A. Only 23 years old, a lot of time for him to turn it around. And if you want to compare the two players, at least we know that Williams has a lot of defensive versatility, um, whereas Cantrell to this point hasn't demonstrated all that much of it. But Williams has to be on the 40-man roster, which was already going to get pretty crowded as we move forward. With the assumption that Williams is going to be out of the major league picture for the near future, we need to look at the changing active roster for the Marlins, which has had quite a lot of shuffling over the past few weeks due to COVID cases, due to minor injuries. We just had a move on Wednesday with Anthony Bender being the latest one to go to the IL for Williams Estadio. But now there's going to be another series of moves as Richard Blyer, Joey Wendell, John Birdie, all of them seemingly on the verge of coming back from the IL. Each of them have played two rehab games, which I think is enough. In the case of Blyer and Birdie, they both are coming back from positive COVID cases. Birdie had it a little bit harder than Blyer did, but they look fine in a couple games. And because it's not a physical injury, you really don't need more than a couple games at the minor league level to get yourself tuned up, especially considering that they performed all right in those rehab games for whatever it's worth. With Wendell, a really positive development with him that he's come back as quickly as he did. When I talked about it, I think on this pod, when he suffered his hamstring strain, I ruled him out for the rest of the month of May, and that seems like it will be incorrect. It seems that he just like those two, should be rejoining the team in Atlanta this weekend at a critical juncture in their season. They need everybody that they can get. So with three of them coming in, the question is, who goes out in their place? Like I said, I'm going to defer to you guys on Twitter that follow Fish Tribes. I just put out the question because I'm so bad at predicting exactly what the Marlins are going to do and when they're going to do them. Maybe you guys would have some better luck. Just reviewing the players that are coming back, we have Blyer, who's off to a kind of slow start this year, but has an extremely long track record of being an above-average reliever. You know what he does? He gets ground balls, he throws strikes, he doesn't overpower you. Of course, he has a guaranteed contract this year and next year. He will obviously rejoin the team right away and contribute. Wendell was one of the best all-around players that the Marlins had right before his injury, mainly at third base, a little bit at shortstop, even at second base one or two times. It makes great contact with the ball, is an above-average defender, I would say, at third base and right around average at the other infield positions. And then there's Birdie, who had a very tiny role initially, but when he's been on the field, an on-base machine uh, more so than anybody else on this team, primarily used in the infield, but as needed, we know in the past that he's gone to the outfield as well, super duper speed, and more power than you might expect from somebody of his size. He's not going to be forcing himself into the starting lineup very often, but he is a significant role to play in making sure that when he is filling in for somebody, that the drop-off is barely noticeable, that he's that super sub He's a rich man's version, I would say, of Luke Williams. And he certainly takes precedent over Williams. So with that in mind, with these three coming back, I asked just on Twitter, you know, who would be your corresponding moves? Which three players should the Marlins send down to make room for Blyer, Wendell, and Birdie? 
The two obvious names, top of mind, are the ones that got on the roster earlier this month directly because of the COVID cases. That's Joe Dunand and Eric Gonzalez. Dunand made his great first impression. Uh, Aside from that, he's been very quiet. And Eric Gonzalez has been pretty much as advertised, a very light-hitting, versatile defender. Um, It's hard to think of very many impactful plays he's made one way or the other. He had a two-run single, I remember, during that homestand, and uh, that's about it. But both those guys, as corresponding moves in this COVID case, I believe the protocols are they can be slid off of the active and 40-man rosters, but still remain with the organization. They don't have to be designated for assignment um, because they were brought on in the first place as a COVID situation. It's kind of a loophole to avoid um, getting into unnecessary chaos due to factors outside your control. So I think a lot of us agree on that, that Dunant and Gonzalez are going to be two of the three odd men out. The other active player that seems especially vulnerable in this situation would be La Tortuga, Williams Astadillo, who was just put on the active roster for the first time 24 hours ago. As much as people enjoy his aesthetic and the moments that he has, stretches of actual good major league play in his history when he was with the Twins, he does have a minor league option left, and he does seem a bit redundant if you're going to already have several versatile players on the roster that can that are less of a liability, I should say, at premium defensive positions. So he, he's pretty vulnerable in this situation as well. It could be as simple as that. With those two infielders and one reliever in, with Dunand, Gonzalez, and Astadio down, and that would leave them with 13 position players and 13 pitchers. But as I said before, I am not the one to go to in these situations. I have misfired quite a bit on some of my predictions when it comes to who gets shuffled off the roster and when, which is why I opened it up to the public. Let's start with my fish stripes staffers, Kevin Baral on Twitter. He thinks it's going to be as simple as Dunand Gonzalez Astadio, noting that Tommy Nance has emerged as somebody worth keeping around. And I would have to agree with that. Nance was the one who only a few weeks ago was elevated to the active roster. And since then, only allowed about one earned run, if I have that right. And he's shown some pretty ins- impressive swing and miss potential with his breaking ball. Only one run allowed in seven and two-thirds innings, less than one base runner per inning. He does seem to have stick- stuck around. And for the moment, especially with Bender going to the IL, the Marlins don't need to subtract from their pitching staff at the moment. A couple of you, including Noah Berger, Trainboy100 on Twitter, they did not understand that Daniel Castano is got already sent down. They were saying that Castano would be the one that gets shuffled off the roster um, as the pitcher in this situation, but Castano was already sent down a few days ago. It's hard to keep track because he goes up and down as much as anybody on this team over the last couple of years, but he's not a candidate to go down here. We have Demorizi underscore UD. He's a great follower of ours as well. That's Eddie, and he goes with the the same straightforward picks, Eric Gonzalez, Astadio, Dunant, Kenny Burr goes with Gonzalez, Astadio, and Jesus Sanchez. Quite a few of you named Jesus Sanchez, the one who started off the season so well, formerly regarded as one of the best prospects in this entire organization, the everyday center fielder for quite a while this season is the one that should be trimmed off. RAM underscore sports also includes Sanchez. 
Come Mierda underscore SFL includes Jesus Sanchez is the one on the chopping block. Brian Devine says the same thing. Rubio Zero, all these all these Twitter handles, says that Sanchez needs more minor league work in training. He is in a fascinating spot. Against Pablo Lopez. And the first pitch, a liner off the bat of Kiermaier. And a diving attempt by Sanchez. Going to go all the way to the wall. We've been talking about it a lot. Exactly what his role should be at the moment. And whether it makes sense for him to work through his struggles in the majors or the minors. Initially, the big problem was his bat. He went from being such a valuable hitter those first couple weeks to over the past month, he has been arguably the worst regular hitter in their lineup. Worse than Miguel Rojas, worse than Avaseo Garcia over the last full month we're talking about, going back towards late May, late April, where he's striking out too much. He's not really hitting for any power, and his approach is just really screwed up. The stat that I found about how all of a sudden he... He's still aggressive overall, but he's taking a lot of pitches that are in the strike zone. I've never seen him strike out looking so often over an extended stretch. When he's not strike out looking, he's at least getting himself into bad counts by taking pitches that look pretty hittable with him. He's having a lot of trouble with high velocity and as well as the issue that he's always had, which is chasing outside the zone and making contact with those pitches when he does. His stats overall, um, he's now well below a league average hitter this season. Uh, his weighted runs created plus is at 95, and that is really buoyed by what he did early on in the season, striking out 30% of the time. That is the highest strikeout rate out of any player that has played for the Marlins all season long. Yikes, with Sanchez. Uh, but the other thing to keep in mind with him is if you sent him down, who plays center field? That'd make the primary center fielder Brian De La Cruz. As much as we love him, you know, he hasn't been sensational this year either. Especially lately, he's had a handful of struggles. Um, he's had a couple offers in a row. His overall, it's a 122 weighted runs created plus. Only one home run, and that home run came towards the very beginning of the year as well. He makes more contact. Uh, you know how much I believe in his batted ball skills and his ability to get good outcomes out of putting balls in play. But the upside isn't quite as high. And just like Sanchez, he had a pretty baffling defensive mistake in recent days playing in center field. Like if he was a surefire, high-quality defensive center fielder, then there won't be much of a doubt. But keep in mind, they optioned him during spring training and brought him up at the last minute again. Then they tried to send him down again earlier this month. The only reason why he hasn't been in AAA the last few weeks is because of this COVID situation. Right, He was the one that was brought up after the first COVID issue with Brian Anderson. And so they kept him around because John Birdie still wasn't on his way back yet. And we had this conversation before about Birdie. Do the Marlins trust him as a center field option? So if Dela Cruz takes over as, center field, as um, the main center fielder, and who who is your backup plan there when he doesn't play? We know that... Obviously, El Garcia is a break glass in case of emergency possibility there. He has not played center field at all this year. And, I mean, that the next man up would have to be Birdie, who played quite a bit of center field at the beginning of his Marlins tenure several years ago, but progressively less and less 
since then. So do they still think that he is a viable player out there? He has the speed for it, definitely doesn't have the arm for it. Does he have the other intangibles and instincts for it? Uh, we'll see. That would be the determining factor as to whether either Dela Cruz or Sanchez is uh, a possibility to send down. But it seems like they do believe in Birdie enough to do that. So it's a question between Dela Cruz and Sanchez. When I floated this question up, let me just look at all the responses and see if anybody mentioned sending down DLC. I don't think so, because all of you love DLC. Again, this is asking what you would do in this situation, not necessarily predicting what the Marlins would do. We have Loud Marlins fan. Uh, he went with the usual guys of Dunand, Astadio, and Eric G as the ones to send down in this situation. Um, is there anybody else that showed, that was comfortable doing what the Marlins have a willingness to do, which is send down DLC, or do you love his um, his style too much to do that? And it seems like nobody was willing to go there. So it was a handful of you that jumped on Sanchez. In addition to the guys I already read, we have our buddy Takes Were Made. This was a sarca- mostly sarcastic reply about the three players that he would squeeze off the roster. He says, Jeezy, Miguel Rojas, and Avisael Garcia. We have, who else? We had Connor Martin, 50, recommending to DFA Eliezer Hernandez and do whatever you want after that. Eliezer just pitched out of the bullpen for the first time last night. All indications are that he's staying in the rotation for the near future. You know how I feel about Eliezer, and you don't need a DFA him. You could simply option him to the minors, and as much as I would, I think that's the appropriate move, They don't. that doesn't seem to be anywhere under consideration for the team. A couple other really laughable ones, making fun of the situation, venting about how this team ha- is disappointing in all aspects at the very highest level. We have I am Eddie Salazar saying the three odd people out should be Mattingly, Kim Ang, and Bruce Sherman. We have uh, Joel Rodriguez, Joel Ivan Rod on Twitter. He says Mattingly, Ang, and the third base coach. So that'd be Al Padrique. He's had some very questionable decisions as the season has gone on, being very equal parts overly conservative and then sometimes just giving strange over-aggressive sends at times. He's he's been he, he has been making some unusual choices over there in his first year as the Marlins third base coach. He has plenty of third base coach with previous teams. But that has not been um exactly a smooth operation with Patrique at third base. So as I said up front, not I don't have a great feel as to exactly who this third odd person out would be. Going into this, um with Astadio, I actually assumed that he was out of options or that he had enough service time to uh, uh, decline an outright assignment in elect free agency. Um I was surprised to look it up and see that he's just short of the three years of service time and that he still has one minor league option preserved for the Marlins to to use. That is the simplest way to go about this, is send down Dunand, send down Gonzalez, send down Astadio, and bring back up Birdie, Wendell, and Blyer. Let's see if they keep it that simple. Again, that other factor is center field, where they've been, especially in recent days, it's almost been an even split in playing time between Dela Cruz and Sanchez. And if you're going to send down one of them, 
then that means you're relying quite a bit on birdie to be the backup plan there um, when necessary. Either way, the Marlins have a lot of pressure to get it right. I think it is a must-split situation that they of these next six games. I think they do need to win at least three of the next six. Ideally, you'd want to win most of those against the Braves, considering that they're in the division, and you're definitely going to have to leapfrog them to make a wild card spot. The Rockies have been really bad lately after getting off to an encouraging start, so they might fade on their own regardless of how this series goes. Even so, for the moment, they are yet another team that is blocking the Marlins' path towards a wild card spot. So that is my lukewarm take about this situation. Uh, it's a must-split upcoming week for the Marlins' next six games, and we're going to be covering it wire-to-wire wire on all of our Fish Stripes platforms, our live streams, our social media. Be sure to follow us there. Of course, this podcast, rate and review wherever applicable and spread the word that we are talking to Marlins all the time from all angles here on Fish Stripes and the main mothership for all of our Marlins coverage, fishstripes.com. Check it out, bookmark it, engage in the conversation over there so you can let us know what particular subjects you want us to dive into regardless of which direction this Marlins season goes into. I've been Eli Sussman. I appreciate all of you for listening to the official show. As always, go fish. Go fish.